0: Warning, this podcast contains themes that may be unsuitable for pre-teens. Hello, my name is Sam Bartram and this is Hysterical Figures, the podcast that takes a light-hearted, occasionally comedic and hopefully entirely accessible look at significant people from history. This series, we're exploring the life and times of one of history's most iconic rulers, William the Conqueror. Buckle in and join me for the ride. Previously on Hysterical Figures. William was coronated at Westminster Abbey whilst his rather unhinged henchmen set fire to the surrounding buildings for no apparent reason. The drama didn't stop there either. William faced years of rebellion against his rule, with a number of factions in England determined to oust William from the throne. William's answer to this set fire to virtually the whole of the north of England, a move responsible for the deaths of over a 100,000 people. This hideous, indiscriminate act helps him to secure his position as king. So what now? Episode 6. Family Feuds, Fatty Foods, Doomsday and Death. Welcome back again. The year is now 1072. William would have been around 44 years of age. He was pretty satisfied with his lot in life and his status as King of England was now secure. Surely now was the time to enjoy his success, relax and rest on his laurels a wee bit. Maybe a quick trip to Marbs to top up his tan. No chance, not our Billy Boy. Like every megalomaniac power-hungry dictator, it wasn't enough just to get one over on his enemies. He had to grind them into submission. This was the case in August 1072 when William invaded Scotland. Scottish king Malcolm III had made Scotland a bit of a haven for English exiles, very much the Benidorm of its day. Amongst them was Edgar Etheling, who also happened to be Malcolm's brother in law following his marriage to Edgar's sister Margaret. William's plan was to persuade Malcolm not to harbour any more of England's undesirables, and he was to do this through gentle negotiation and diplomacy. Only joking. His real plan was to give Malcolm and the Scots a good kicking and a Glasgow kiss or two until they did what he wanted. Malcolm tamely submitted to his English counterpart in the style of Wayne's We're not worthy! We're not worthy! and promised no more harbouring of English fugitives. Oh, and for good measure, he handed over his eldest son Duncan to William as a hostage as well. Whilst William had kicked the butts of his Norman Empire's northern neighbours, those down south remained a concern. Relations with Brittany and Anjou remained frosty. The King of France, Philip I, had now come of age and fancied picking up from where his late father Henry had left off, i.e. constantly squabbling with William. In addition, relations with Flanders had gone south as well. William's brother-in-law, Robert, had succeeded his father-in-law Baldwin, not Alec, as Count of Flanders. Robert and William did not see eye to eye, and not even being related through marriage was enough to make things any less hostile even fought each other in a battle in 1071. That would have made things pretty awkward at family events. Just to further complicate these intricate family dynamics, King Philip had married another sister of Robert of Flanders and had therefore succeeded in making their family tree more of a circle. Robert and Philip were determined to make William's life difficult. Robert had let Edgar Etheling reside in Flanders after he was booted out of Scotland and King Philip had kindly lent him a castle near the Norman border in a very convenient location to plot and launch attacks on Normandy. Sadly for the hapless Edgar, his plans for invading Normandy would have come to nothing. In 1073, Edgar travelled back to Scotland to round up some troops with the intention of raising merry hell in Normandy. However, on his way back to France, his boat was shipwrecked. Many of his soldiers drowned, and most of Edgar's treasure and riches sank to the bottom of the sea. Left with little option, Edgar made his peace with William, and in that moment gave up any hope of one day becoming king. Oh, well, Edgar, worse things have happened at sea. Oh, sorry, too soon. In 1075, William had another revolt in England to deal with, but this was not instigated by his English subjects, but by another old foe, Brittany. Ralph de Gale, a Breton nobleman, started a bit of a scuffle in the expectation that the English would rise up against William once again. However... To his horror, no such thing occurred. The English supported William this time and made sure all came to nothing. William had obviously found at least some favour with the English. They love me! They really love me! In 1076, William invaded Brittany with the intention of exacting some cold hard revenge on Ralph. However, supported by King Philip, this attack was repelled and William returned unsuccessful from this particular mission. Further problems were to befall William in 1077, much closer to home. William's brat of an eldest son Robert, whose affectionate nickname was Kurt Hose, meaning shorty-pants, was giving off some proper short-man energy. "Have you been arguing with your brothers again, Shorty-Pants?" "Oh god, why do you always call me that? What's it to you anyway?" "Oh Robert, I do wish you'd make more of an effort to try and get along with them." Yeah, well, I wish you'd just go to hell. Hurry up and die, won't you? When do I get my own castle? I want to be duke now! All in good time, my little shorty pants. God, it's so unfair! Robert was the archetypal, spoilt rich kid. If he were around today, he'd probably have been cast in Made in Chelsea. In the words of Queen, he wanted it all, and he wanted it now. He was frustrated at having to wait for his hereditary title, and after an argument with his brothers, completely lost the plot and attempted to seize William's castle in Rouen. William was so angry, he went to attack Robert, who then fled into exile and straight into the loving arms of the King of France, who purely out of the goodness of his heart, nothing to do of course with the hatred of William, gave Robert a castle near the Norman border from which he could launch attacks against his father. All very Star Wars. In 1079... William had another pop at his son when he attacked Robert's castle. This resulted in a humiliating defeat for Willie in the resulting battle. His horse was killed and he injured his hand before being forced to retreat. Little Rob won, Big Will nil. To add insult to injury, William later found out that his wife Matilda had been secretly sending Robert big wads of cash behind his back. The treachery! The deception! The inescapable bond between a mother and her firstborn? Either way... William had a proper strop and a big old domestic ensued. The wife who tricks her husband wrecks the home, William is quoted to have said, the big old drama queen. This hurt William as, despite their inauspicious start, he and Matilda were as solid as a rock. Matilda had been left to effectively rule Normandy for William when he had to gallivant off to England, and in return Matilda was spoilt rotten and William was, as far as we know, Faithful to her and never fathered any illegitimate children. A rarity for royalty, of any era, frankly. Sure as earths is earths, the golden couple soon kissed and made up. By 1080, Matilda had managed to persuade her now becalmed husband to make peace with her beloved little brat. William welcomed Robert back into the fold, but this came at a cost. William had to agree to his oldest son succeeding him as Duke of Normandy. Robert's huge tantrum had worked a treat. Mission accomplished. William should have brought Supernanny in. She wouldn't have stood for it. Ever the pragmatist, having brought his family back together and accepted the presence of his least favourite son at the family dinner table, William was determined to make use of him. He sent Robert off to Scotland to teach that pesky King Malcolm another lesson after he'd broken the terms of their truce. William himself then had a saunter over to invade Wales. King William's England was strong and determined to press home their advantage at any opportunity. William's position as king was rock solid and no longer under any question. For a few years, life was good for William and his family, but in 1083, tragedy struck. Queen Matilda sadly died. William was crestfallen. he lost the love of his life and was plunged into a deep depression. Matilda had been by his side ever since that day he punched her lights out in the street. From that sliding doors moment, a great partnership was formed, one powerful enough to successfully rule over both a kingdom and a dukedom separated by the English Channel. Soon after the death of the Queen, William and Robert were back at each other's throats again, and without Matilda as peacemaker, there was nobody around to appeal to William's better nature. Robert was thrust into exile once more, and William was left totally alone. Now into his mid-fifties, which in medieval times was good going, William would have felt pretty vulnerable. His wife was dead and his eldest son had deserted him. Not to mention that William was now a bit of a porker. Actually, that's being kind. He was morbidly obese. And the memories of the athletic young man that had conquered England were getting more and more distant by the day. His thoughts turned to his legacy. And in 1085, he commissioned a bold and innovative project, the Doomsday Book. This was the culmination of a grand survey, a sort of cross between a census and a land registry, which left no inch of England undocumented and resulted in what is justifiably seen as the most complete survey of a pre-industrial society anywhere in the world. The detail contained is extensive and, well, intrusive, to be honest. The King's Commissioners who carried out this survey would leave nothing to chance and no stone unturned. All right, who are you? I don't need any double glazing. I am the King's Commissioner. I just need to ask a few questions. OK, make it quick. The Villa Game is on TV. Do you own this house? Yes, I do. Do you have any tenants? Are any any smallholders, villagers or slaves living here? Slaves? Well, my wife would probably say that she feels like one, but no. It's just me, the missus and the kids. How much land do you own? Look, it's a three-bed semi, mate. We've just got the backyard. Okay, how much of the back yard is woodland or meadow, and do you have any animals or fish? What sort of questions are these? I'd say the yard is 80% patio, 20% weeds. That do you? We've got a dog called Neil and three goldfish in a bowl. Perfect. Finally, how much is this house worth? God knows, do I look like Kirsty Bloody Allsop? I don't mean to be rude, but the game is kicked off. That's fine. I've got everything I need. Just to let you know, next year someone will be back to collect £5,000 tax for the king. Have a good day. The survey had an extensive level of detail and detailed 13,418 villages or towns and over 30,000 individual lordly estates. With this information, William now knew who owned what land. Not only did he plan to use this information to raise taxes on his subjects, William could also seize lands when a tenant died or charge their next of kin a sizeable inheritance tax to get their hands on land that was rightfully theirs. This gave William more power and wealth than ever. It's all mine! Mine! He probably said to himself. Alas, William would not get to enjoy his riches for much longer. In 1087, William fell ill with a mystery illness that caused further swelling of his now gigantic stomach. King Philip took advantage of William's ill health to attack and cause damage to parts of Normandy. William recovered sufficiently to gain revenge on Philip by completely destroying the town of Nantes. But shortly afterwards, William was injured when his horse leapt over a ditch and the saddle was driven into his pot belly, crushing his internal organs in the process. Oof, that's gotta hurt. William made it back to Rouen, but it became abundantly clear that he was on his last legs. He asked to be moved out of the city to the church of Saint-Gervais, where he would eventually draw his last breath. Before doing so, he apparently spent the rest of his days confessing his sins, which, to be fair, would have taken several months. To say our will had skeletons in his closet was an understatement, more an entire graveyard. William also just about had time to express his wishes for all his treasure to be left to the church and for all prisoners still in his custody to be set free. His final wish was for his son, Robert Shortypants, to be fetched from exile to succeed him as Duke of Normandy. His second surviving son, William Rufus, was to be the next King of England. William died on the 9th of September, 1087. What happened next was a complete farce from start to finish. The great and the good of Normandy, who'd been at William's bedside, suddenly realised that with William gone, there was now a power vacuum, with Robert Curtos, the Duke-to-be, still in exile. They all buggered off to protect their own properties, leaving William's body unguarded. By the time the monks of Rouen arrived to collect William's corpse for the funeral, a grotesque sight greeted them. William's naked body lying abandoned on the floor, his fine clothing and possessions having been stolen by lesser members of the ducal household. The monks then shipped William's body over to Cannes for the funeral. A crowd of people came to pay their respects, but the crowd soon fled when a fire broke out and burnt most of the town to ash. Going well so far. The final indignity arrived during the funeral service itself. Those responsible for making the stone sarcophagus that would house William's body had clearly underestimated the king's significant bulk. As the monks attempted to squeeze William's already slightly decomposed corpse into its final resting place, his swollen bowels burst releasing a hideous stench that quickly filled the church, causing the appalled onlookers to scarper. Mirroring scenes of William's coronation, only the clergy were left in the church with William. Two are believed to have later died of disease due to the bowel-bursting incident. If you're going to go out, you may as well go out with a bang. A revolting and far end to a quite incredible life. For all the hideousness he was responsible for, there is no denying William's place in history as a historical figure of the highest importance. Next time, join me for the final episode in this series as we go behind the history and consider William the Conqueror's place in the historical Hall of Fame. From the sublime to the ridiculous, the barbaric to the benevolent, and the functional to the fabulous, I consider just why William I is considered the first modern monarch of England. Needless to say, there will be a fair bit of silliness and sauce in there too. I'll see you there. TTFN!